This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Shawley, still at Toy Party Conference. <laughs> no, I haven't yet lost my voice. Uh, coming up on today's episode then, uh, we've got Liz Truss unpacked. She delivered her big speech after a pretty extraordinary week at Toy Party Conference. She delivered a big speech. Patrick Maguire will be here to, to pause it, pull out some of the best bits and uh, put it in some context of where we are uh, politically. But to, but to kick things off, uh, we thought we'd look back over some previous uh, debut party conference speeches uh, with uh, with two people who've seen quite a lot of them before. Uh, first though, a little reminder of speeches gone by. Good morning everybody, thank you very much, thank you all very much. When we came to Birmingham this week, some big questions were hanging in the air. So, here we all are again, conference time. In all my years of politics, it's the first time I've ever had to fight my way into a hall in order to make a speech. Some blasts in the past there. So what we do, you do is take a look back at some notable debuts by some of Liz Truss's predecessors. And here to pick through these audio gems are two people who've, who've seen far too many of these things. Uh, Phil Webster is a former Pentagon of the Times. Morning, Phil. Good morning. And Francis Elliott, also a former political of the Times and now Director for Advocacy at Engage Britain. Morning, Francis. Morning, morning, Matt. Uh, oh, you sound very chipper, Francis. Have you already left Birmingham? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> uh, I can tell. I can tell just by the tone of your voice. Uh, now, um, uh, let's do this in sort of reverse chronological order then. So the last time we heard from a new Tory Prime Minister, it was only uh, three years ago. This was Boris Johnson back in 2019. Every one of them was difficult, but we always had the courage as a country to be original, to do things differently. If we do that with optimism and confidence, then we, I tell you, we will not go wrong. So let's get on with sensible, moderate, one nation, but tax-cutting Conservative government. And figuratively, figuratively, if not literally, let us send Jeremy Corbyn, Corbyn into orbit where he belongs. <laughs> Conference, let's get Brexit done and let's bring this country together. Thank you very much. I mean, he was always a conference favourite, Phil, and managed to combine humour, a slogan, uh, a, a attack on political opponents. He was always quite good at doing a conference speech, Boris Johnson, Phil. 
doing most speeches, really. And that, that was a particularly successful speech because it set him up uh, for the general election. Um, you know, the whole point of the speech was to get Brexit done by October the 31st, which he wasn't able to do. But he very quickly after that went to the country and he, he used that speech to set all that up. But he was very, he was always good at uh, conference speeches, and I bet his next speech will be an absolute uh, humdinger uh, <laughs> when he next turns up at, when he next turns up at uh, conference. By the way, I think, um, I think Liz Truss should have come into um, Things Can Only Get Better, don't you, Matt? <laughs> Might be a bit on the nose even for her. Uh, right, uh, Francis, in this, um, this lottery of speeches, you've got, uh, uh, you've got this one from 2016. So to everyone here this morning and the millions beyond, whether leavers or remain, I say, come with me and we'll write that brighter future. Come with me and we'll make that change. Come with me as we rise to meet this moment. Come with me and together, let's seize the day. Actually, um, on reflection, yeah, it was quite stirring by Theresa May's status. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was um, an unusual speech in that it actually had some proper policy in because she she set out uh, some red lines on. I mean, she defined her sort of Brexit negotiating position far more, in fact, that she needed to do. Um, uh, and and I think that speech included a kind of an attack on irresponsible capitalism. I mean, uh, and the, oh yeah, it the, did. The, um, People have of nowhere, citizens, citizens of, nowhere. of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so you know, it, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was uh, as an introduction. It was quite meaty in terms of. It was quite meaty, uh, but but well, at least uh, yeah. uh, it, 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 it was proper. It was proper. Proper newsline, it? It wasn't. You know, it wasn't. And actually, you're right. It set lots of the things of what we, you know, in terms of Brexit red lines, which then yeah. actually caused a quite a you lot. You kind of, of trouble know when you're on. listening to a speech that's defining something. You know. You know, One that you're going to look up again. Yeah, you kind of oh gosh, yeah. yes, this is this is a moment in time. This is he's, she's you, we're actually kind of this is proper news. And actually, and it was a, it was another trying, year before we had the the cough. Go on, Phil. She was also trying to uh, show the Tory conference that uh, I'm not Cameron. I mean, the, the, by then uh, there was a sense of this sort of chumocracy running Downing Street, and here was Theresa May coming there to go back to good old-fashioned uh, conservative values away from some yeah. of the things that uh, Cameron had been espousing. Well, as you've mentioned him, let's take a listen. This was David Cameron's first party conference speech as Prime Minister in 2010. It takes two to build that big society. Don't let the cynics say this is some unachievable, impossible dream that won't work in the selfish 21st century. Tell them people are hungry for it. I know the British people, they are not passengers, they're drivers. I've seen the courage of our soldiers, the spirit of our entrepreneurs, the patience of our teachers, the dedication of our doctors, the compassion of our care workers, the wisdom of our elderly, the love of our parents, the hopes of our children. So come on, let's pull together, let's come together, let's work together in the national interest. Uh, the British people are not passengers, they're drivers, feels like a, a line which, which sounded better in the meeting room uh, on the stage. But he was quite good at the, that stuff as well, wasn't he, uh, Francis? Yeah, no, he was. He loved, he loved making a speech. He was quite good at it. Um, 
I remember a former employer saying that you know uh, he would he would give a speech at a drop of a hat and have to stop him from you know even even as a sort of young twenty year old. Um, <laughs> they weren't all successful. I can't really remember that. That was twenty ten, was it? Yeah, that was that's, that was his first one as prime minister, prime minister which actually could yeah. have been a bit tricky because he didn't get the majority and he was in a coalition. Yeah, and actually, there was the no, one. He was very good at the one when. No, the, 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 the UKIPers ones, um, the, the oh, conference yeah. where he turned up and everyone was defected as a UKIP and actually he did, again did a good speech and sort of somehow, you know, got himself out of a hole and, and left again being held aloft, which you wouldn't necessarily expected. Just because I'm conscious of time, let's just skip on to, uh, it was a long time before that that we heard a Conservative Prime Minister making his debut at uh, party conference. It was John Major back in 1991. And here in Britain, I'll tell you what you'll see over the next few months you'll see the red flag dying here. Going, going, gone. <laughs> Suddenly it's so old-fashioned, so irrelevant, so out of date. I should like to live in a world where opportunity is for everyone, where peace is truly universal, and where freedom is secure. If that's what you believe in, then go back to your constituencies. Tell them what we stand for. Tell them what we care for and ask them to choose. Phil, a reminder that the, the caricature that younger generations might have uh, is a bit unfair. That, that John Major was pretty good at making a speech as well. Yes, he was. He was, uh, and we all remember his 92 election campaign, soapbox and all that, where, where he surprised everybody by winning. But in that speech, it was all about, I think, introducing himself, um, the, telling them it's uh, you know a long way from Cold Harbour Lane to Downing Street. We know it's not that far, but we know what he meant. But also to say that uh, to re remind the audiences there of the relatively modest upbringings of his two predecessors, Margaret Thatcher and uh, and Ted Heath, saying that the yeah. Tories you know were the party of opportunity and all that. He he was he was a good speechmaker and uh, and much underrated. And Francis, you've written today that the expectations are so low for Liz Truss that she should, in theory, be able to clear them. <laughs> the point I was trying to make was that um, the, the, the fact that expectations are so low for her is a good thing because news testers love a counter-narrative and therefore if she literally gets to the end of, the, of it without the, the, the lettering falling off behind her um, pace, uh, Theresa May 2017, um, you know, and it's just mediocre, it'll be written up as a triumph by some. Phil Webster and Francis Elliott there. Up next, it's Liz Truss Unpacked. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for... Liz Truss. Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Patrick Maguire. Yeah, yeah no PMQs uh, this week, uh, just PM. Uh, the PM's big speech, Liz Truss addressing the party faithful here in Birmingham Times. Red Box editor Patrick Maguire uh, joins me. Your overall big first impression of the sentence, Patrick? Well, look, I think that was one of the better speeches Liz Truss has ever delivered from a conference stage or otherwise. Uh, I think the room was behind her, but whether it has settled any of the big questions about her economic strategy uh, that her critics within the Conservative Parliamentary Party are posing, uh, I would be doubtful. OK, let's pick through it, just, just for people who, who either didn't listen to it or, you know, sometimes it's hard to pick out the significant bits. Once again, it's amazing this, she's been Cabinet Minister for a decade, but once again, sort of reintroducing herself to the nation, talking about growing up in Leeds and going to a comprehensive school. I remember growing up in Leeds, where I saw too many children being let down. Let down by low expectations, let down by a Labour council who were more interested in political correctness than they were in school standards. But I was lucky to have been brought up in a family that cared about education. They taught me the value of hard work and enterprise. And I stand here today as the first Prime Minister of our country to have gone to a comprehensive school. Uh, Patrick McGuire, that last bit, first Prime Minister to go to a comprehensive school, we don't think is strictly accurate. No, not strictly true. Gordon Brown uh, and John Major both attended schools that were later comprehensive schools. I think Gordon Brown was comprehensively educated, but she's certainly the first conservatively, uh, comprehensively educated Tory Prime Minister, and that was a big part of her pitch against Rishi Sunak, wasn't yeah. it? She was the plucky uh, northern provincial everywoman taking on uh, Rishi Sunak, uh, the representative of you know, the, the globalist elite educated at public schools, telling uh, the Conservative Party uh, that it couldn't pursue its uh, her, her, uh, her, you know, all singing, all dancing, optimistic economic platform. And, and the key thing, and this was a message that uh, Kwasi Kwarteng's trying to make uh, this week, although he got it slightly wrong when he said doing something was not an option. They're, they're trying to mount this case that uh, doing nothing was not an option. Let's take a listen. I knew that inaction would be unconscionable. Families would have been unable to heat their homes. Businesses would have gone bust. Jobs would have been lost. And we would have worse public services, including the NHS. I couldn't allow this to happen. And it's interesting, she's sort of taking the necessity of action on energy bills brought about by the Russian invasion of Ukraine and sort of leveraging that into, and that's why we need to do all these other things as well. Yeah, all the other radical... uh plans for the economy, which she doesn't, strictly speaking, have a mandate, certainly not from the public, but also from the Conservative selectorate. What she had a mandate for was still quite a big 
fiscal package. She had a mandate to uh, overturn the national insurance levy, uh, that, that rise that Rishi Sunak introduced, uh, to, re to reverse or not go ahead with his planned cuts in corporation tax. And that big thing she's now trying to put front and centre of her platform again, the freeze on energy bills. Now, all of those together... You well, the shitty thing, she didn't say she was going to do that during the leadership contest. No, no she didn't, The only people say, who were saying that at the time with the Labour Party. And she said nobody had a plan. Nobody had a plan for that, uh, which is obviously not true because it had been suggested by the opposition parties. Um, but, you know, that platform alone, those three big fiscal interventions would have been more than enough for her to talk about. To get through this. It would have been a core week, message yeah, yeah. to repeat back again and again and again. So it's curious, to say the least, after her self-inflicted uh, mini-budget fiascos, here <laughs> then try and draw the attention back to that, because really the damage has been done. Interesting. I was talking to a cabinet minister last night. I said, would it not have been better to have just done the energy bills, put all the other radical stuff, let, do it in a few weeks' time, do it for the OBR, rather than this mess? And he looked at me and said... Is that just a rhetorical question? Of course, that's the answer. That's so, that's so blindingly obvious to everyone now. Um, and then, of course, just as she was getting going, gearing up to do a big growth bit, she had this interruption. speech, my friends, I'm going to talk about the anti-growth coalition. But I think, I, think, I think they arrived in the hall a bit too early. Uh, I mean, she at least thought on her feet. Uh, the Greenpeace, Greenpeace protesters waving around a flag saying nobody voted for this. Uh, a point, it's a wonder that Dean Doris uh, wasn't there with them, uh, having made exactly uh, that point. But she handled it pretty well. She did. If you compare, it's, it's funny how we can have a very recent example in Theresa May to compare this to in 2017. I think Liz Truss was certainly quicker on her feet. It, as a Tory MP said to me just before I came on here, it united the room behind her. The room were willing her to succeed and not uh, have a Theresa May sort of freezing on her feet moment. Uh, and also it made her point quite neatly, her, the point she goes on to, which we'll discuss in a moment, about the anti-growth coalition, you know, her, um, the unholy alliance of you know, Mick Lynch, uh, Greenpeace, Extinction Rebellion and, and the BBC that she, she is accusing <laughs> of uh, opposing her agenda. And, and look, that's a message that goes down very well in the hall. So really it was a, a good case study. Uh, for Liz Truss there, I think. Let's move on to what's a sort of summation, actually, of her economic philosophy, albeit for lots of people it will be a sort of economic word soup. But let's take a listen to, to, to uh, the sort of economic section of the speech. And for too long, the political debate has been dominated by the argument about how we distribute a limited economic pie. Instead, we need to grow the pie so that everyone gets a bigger slice. That is why I'm determined to take a new approach and break us out of this high-tax, low-growth cycle. And that's what our plan is about, a growing economy and a better future. I have three priorities for our economy. Growth, growth and growth. I'd be quite interested, Patrick Guy. It's been a while since we've got YouGov to poll words that only politicians use. 
Uh, net zero was one, levelling up, I think we've, we've looked at before. I, I do wonder about whether growth, growth, growth has quite the same resonance as education, education, education. Well, players, look, both parties, it should be said to be fair to Liz Trust, the Labour Party yeah, the same this thing. One, are talking yeah. about growth constantly. And you raise a good point. Is this just, uh, you know, parlour room economics that the public don't understand? Would they, do they really understand this debate in terms of jobs? And wages and indeed their mortgage interest, mortgage interest payments, which we'll be hearing much more about in the in the weeks and months to come, rather than this quite arid, bloodless, clinical language of growth and supply-side reforms. You speak to Tory MPs, though, Liz Truss's back is on the right. I was just I was speaking to a minister about five minutes ago before I came on, and they said, you know, we finally got a... We finally got a, a Prime Minister who's speaking the language of prosperity. We've waited 30 years for this uh, since Mrs Thatcher. Someone making these full-throated defence of the market. But... It, just to comment on the oratory briefly, you know, it's not Reagan's shining city on the hill. It's not Thatcher's guns before butter, uh, this sort of quite laboured analogy about a pie and growing a pie <laughs> and bigger slices of the pie. Um, well, the, uh, problem, the problem with these analogy is pies don't grow. You, you buy a different pie. Or, you know, in your my case, just eat your own pie. Well, and totally, everyone yeah. have their own pie, yeah. Um, uh, but then she did go on, and maybe... I was just trying to look, actually, at the pound. The pound was did start falling while she was speaking, it would appear. Uh, but uh, still at one point fourteen, $1.14, it, it seems. Um, but I think this, this next section was clearly designed to, to reassure the markets. Mm. They have got a plan. This is her talking about fiscal responsibility. I believe in fiscal responsibility... I believe in getting value for the taxpayer. I believe in sound money and a lean state. I remember my shock opening my first paycheck to see how much money the taxman had taken out. I am clear we cannot pave the way to sustainable economic growth without fiscal responsibility. So we will bring down debt as a proportion of our national income. That is in great big bold letters. Don't worry, the markets. We've got a plan. It's not all crazy, unfunded borrowing. Yes, and that begs the question: How are they going to do it? <laughs> um, and this has been a question that has stalked ministers on the fringes in their broadcast interviews on Times Radio and other lesser outlets. And you, you get a range of responses. You get euphemism, and then you get people like Simon Clark uh, and indeed Quasi Quarteng speaking in uncertain terms about spending cuts. You know, you have to, that, that sort of very orthodox view, the sort of thing Rishi Sunak might say, actually, that if you're going to cut taxes, you're going to have to find yeah. the spending cuts elsewhere. And that's very much not the 2019 mandate. That's not uh, levelling up, as Boris Johnson understood it, uh, this uh, new era of austerity. Uh, strangely enough, Liz Trust wasn't particularly candid about that during her speech, but in the weeks and months to come, we will hear a lot more about those unpalatable decisions. Again, the minister before was saying, look, we're going to have to make painful decisions, but it will all be worth it. The question is, will the MPs listen to that? Will the cabinet ministers listening to that who disagree give her enough time to go through with it? And that's the essential to us when the Dean Doris or Greenpeace professor say nobody voted for this. In 2019, and subsequently, Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak said, well, we'll put up corporation tax. We, we need the national insurance levy in order to fund the public services that you like. And if now the government is saying, well, we're not going to do those things in order to fund, not do, you know, fund those tax cuts, it's going to mean cutting the public services that you like. Yeah, to and totally. You can look at this in two different ways, right? You can look at it on the levelling up thing, which was a tacit acknowledgement that post-industrial uh, post Britain had been failed by exactly the sort of ideology Liz Truss holds so dear. Or... You know, you can, you can forget that sort of airy debate and, and focus on the here and now. Um, for lots of the public, and this is the line Labour would like to put across, 
to think that Britain doesn't work anymore, that public services don't work anymore. You heard that uh, passage with Liz trusting a sort of call and response routine with her best mate to raise coffee, saying, well, look, she's going to fix this in the NHS. Well, they were all laughing. Fix. They were like, oh, 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 you were going to find some dentists. Well, well, no, but exactly. And this comes back to, well, where's the cash going to come yeah, from? Yeah. Because, you know, uh, for years, Tory chancellors have basically shoveled money into the furnace of the NHS, and now we're having a government that seems to think... You know that it's time for difficult choices, but it's making the same promises about fixing the public yeah, yeah. services. Something's going to have to give rhetorically and economically at some point. There were, there were shout outs for, for Therese Coffee, uh, for Swella Bravman as well, the Home Secretary, um, and uh, a mention for, for uh, Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng, who only yesterday she wouldn't even say she trusted. Uh, but let's take a listen. This is uh, the Chancellor getting a name check. Inflation is high across the world's major economies. We will do what we can as a government to support homeowners, such as cutting stamp duty. But it's right that interest rates are independently set by the Bank of England and that politicians do not decide on this. The Chancellor and the Governor will keep closely coordinating our monetary and fiscal policy. And the Chancellor and I are in complete lockstep on this. In complete lockstep. How many, how many other Cabinet Ministers do you think you could say that about? <laughs> uh, fewer and fewer. Uh, just... You know, look at the running tally in this morning's Times. I think it's five by tomorrow. It'll probably be seven or eight uh, who disagree with her on something or other. Um, the fact she's having to say that about her Chancellor so early into her tenure, and bear in mind these are political allies and personal friends of long vintage, um, it shows that all is not well between number 10 and number 11, or rather it is not the joint premiership that this was billed as at the start. It's not quite a George Osborne and David Cameron scenario where any difference of opinion are... Uh, kept inside the uh, inside the quad, as it were, and, and, but it's certainly not a TBGB Gordon Brown Tony Blair situation yet. But it's not a relationship in rude health if yeah. she's having to state that very starkly. So let's just zoom out again now as they pack up Rannis. What you can hear Rannis is people sort of gaffer taping things into boxes. They dismantle the, the Tory Party conference around us. This time next week, we'll be doing PMQs unpacked. It'll be Liz Truss against Keir Starmer across the dispatch box. What a different world that's going to be to her very first one. She became Prime Minister on the Tuesday. She did her first PMQs, actually performed quite well. Since then, we've had a new king. Uh, we've had a whole new economic policy. We've had a, a, a crash in the pound, a crash in the polls, cabinet revolt. What does politics look like next week? Well, do you remember then, everybody was saying, well, I say everybody, the Westminster consensus was, oh, isn't this great, a proper PMQs, there's clear blue water between Liz Truss and Keir Starmer. She's giving straight answers to questions. The past few weeks have shown, and particularly this week, that the Conservative Party, a critical mass of Tory MPs, don't like that clear blue water. They think that opening that clear blue water is politically and electorally suicidal. They would like her to be more flexible and uh, more alive and empathetic to concerns people have about her unyielding approach. So whether she changes her gambit, indeed whether she can change that gambit, uh, politicians find it very difficult to change, particularly one who has made a virtue of inflexibility on these big economic questions like Liz Truss. And Keir Starmer will probably go straight for the jugular and if we haven't had an answer over the weekend, which I think would probably be prudent from number 10 about uprating benefits in line with inflation and pointing at the cabinet ministers behind her who, uh, who disagree with her. So we are in a very different world and it's a world in which Liz Truss's approach, for which she won some plaudits the other week, uh, probably isn't going to reap the same dividends. 
Yeah, and the Labour Party absolutely cock a hoop. While we've been on air, a shadow cabinet minister's messaged me to say, I almost feel a sense of FOMO about not being at Tory party conference. Uh, but luckily, apparently, we've, we've been uh, very generous in letting, the, letting, us, letting them enjoy it remotely. Well, well, well look, Labour Party conference felt much more like a Tory party conference. Mm. It was crawling with lobbyists. Everybody was impeccably on message. And, yeah. you know, it was pretty it's boring. A bit boring. Yeah. Given them that, they haven't been boring this week. Uh, Patrick McGuire, thanks so much for joining us. Time's Redbox Enter. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.